And now, The Moment with Brian Koppelman. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. A couple things. Uh, one, thanks for the great response to the uh, Baron Davis podcast a couple weeks ago. It's been uh, really wonderful to hear uh, that you got a lot out of it. And I think Baron was amazing for being so forthcoming and cool and uh, really letting me and us into his world. Uh, so, so that's great. Um, and uh, if any of you are listening through any kind of iTunes uh, app, it'd be great if you hit the iTunes store and uh, rated the podcast and maybe wrote something and let them know that you dig it. Uh, I'd appreciate it. Colson Whitehead is going to be here soon. And uh, Colson is a genius. Uh, I know this because I've read his stuff, but uh, beyond that, he's actually uh, been uh, deemed a genius by the only people who can uh, in this uh, society, by the MacArthur Organization, who have given him the MacArthur Genius Grant uh, for his fiction writing. We're going to be talking about his nonfiction uh, book, which is called uh, The Noble Hustle, and it's about his uh, run at the 2011 World Series of Poker. I don't want to talk for a long time uh, before Colson gets here because I have so much that I want to talk to him about. You know, I am, uh, my partner David Levine and I wrote uh, Rounders, the poker movie, and that's what started our career uh, as screenwriters and, and filmmakers. So I have a very jaundiced eye when I read uh, poker writing. And uh, I'm not generous of spirit about it. And uh, I always think everybody's a fraud and a phony who uh, try to write about it. I have to say, Colson's book blew me away. And if you're interested at all, uh, you should get the book and read it and uh, and listen to our conversation. Thanks. Be back when Colson's here. Colson Whitehead, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I haven't been to the Brill Building in a long time. Yeah, it's a great historical. Uh, it's a great historical place. Some of the greatest pop songs. Surely, yes, yes. Ever written. And uh, movies was Sweet Smell of Success. Yeah, famously. Um, and this is Lauren Michaels. This facility, we're in a Lauren Michaels facility. He doesn't. I mean, joke, people joke that he owns the building. He, he doesn't own the building, but he owns enough of the building. I think. Sure, okay. You know, and probably enough in New York. And I don't know. Would you be surprised if, in fact, he owned the building? No, but I'm, I'm not surprised. Or I am surprised he's not springing for a security guard. It seems like a high rise in Midtown. You usually have to check in, and but there's no like security. It's uh, artists are in this, work, in this <laughs> yeah. building. I mean, but someone's going to come here and shoot the guy doing sure, sound I mean, editing for I SNL. Guess, or... I guess we are. <laughs> Probably not. Um, so I, I introduced you, and in, uh, before you walked in, and t- I ex- told people about about the book, and um, I just want to jump in. You know, I I loved I loved the book, um, and I think you did a, a lot. Not only told us about you were going there, but I think you covered a, a lot of ground. I, I want to start by asking you about poker in general. I, I was thinking about this um, David Mamet essay where he, uh, it's called Things I've Learned Playing Poker on, on the Hill. It's a great essay, and but it's it starts Mamet's dad. Uh, I guess David had gotten into his 20s or 30s, and his dad looked at him, and he said, you're still using cards? Not. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, Mamet says, uh, to explain, his dad was saying, do you still need to measure yourself in, in that way? So <laughs> wh- why do you think we still use cards? 
Oh, good lord. Um, well, you know, there's this, you know, there's a generic sort of macho rite of passage. Um, learn to play poker. It's a men, it's a men's game. Um, for me, I just always loved hearts. Always loved like bridge, crazy eight, spit, war. No matter what it was, um, uh, I would spend hours and hours with my brother, with my you know trawling the halls of my dorm in college just trying to find someone uh, to play with everyone else was studying I'm sort of hanging around um I've never seen it as maybe and this is a flaw obviously in my, in my poker but um I've never seen it yeah I never tried to sort of measure myself with other people through poker I think because I have a natural home game facility it's not like it's not like a, a serious poker game a serious poker players facility with cards but i'm always just i can sort of autopilot whenever i play with my friends and so um i always want enough times i never had to think about is this big loss somehow symbolic of who i am you know is that make, does that make sense well it, it makes sense what do you mean by autopilot um. Uh, the, the people the people I generally play with yeah. have an average level of you know a sort of a consistent level of ability in poker. It's a five dollar buying game. It's ten dollar buying game, and people are drinking, people are talking, people are chatting, and people over the years are more or less serious about their poker. Um, I sort of walk in with my. Tweety birds in my head, and I'm thinking about anything else except poker. And I can, I can just sort of, well, I guess win would be the word, uh, without putting too much effort or too much concentration. And over, yeah, you know, uh, over time, um, and I, I can say that without being embarrassed because I'm so terrible compared to all the people I played with when I was training and when I actually went to the World Series of Poker. Like real poker players, I'm nothing. But uh, just my sort of natural facility with cards allows me to, to sort of coast through. You mentioned a couple of poker books in, 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 in your book, but did, did you ever read Yardley's Education of a Poker Player? No, no. In that, that's more like kind of the first one. You know, he was a cryptographer and uh, in, in, and then became a, a poker player. He's an amazing character. He's like a CIA guy? Yeah. Well, uh, before there was a CIA. Right, right, right. No, yeah, uh, my friend Nicholas Davidoff, uh, he's a writer, he was like, you're writing about poker, you have to read like this one classic. And um, he lent me his copy. It was, like, covered in plastic. Uh, then I moved, like, three weeks later. I haven't seen it since. I'm hoping he doesn't. He never, he never brings it up. But, yes, that's the exact book. He loved it. Uh, he loved it. Yardley talks about in the book that the first thing you have to do, and it's back to this home game, and, and I'm not sure I believe you when you say you don't really compete um, against the other people because your book, uh, I think, gives a lie to that. But um, the, uh, that your first job at the poker table is to decide... How many steps removed from the idiot um, your opponent thinks you are? Okay. And your opponent is. <laughs> okay, yes. That's the next level Next level thinking that's like, very useful. Yeah. It's just that that's... <laughs> the, so you've made a determination about the guys in your home game. But, you know, he, the example he uses is um, the quarterback and the lineba uh, linebacker has to decide how many steps away from the idiot does the quarterback think I am, right? Sure. Does he think he can look right and throw right or look right and throw left or, you know, that I'll know he'll do that so he can look right and throw right? So you're saying, you know, your guys look right and throw left. Yeah, no, I mean, um, it's rare. I mean, I assume it's rare that you play the same people for 12 years. And this game has been once a month, uh, was once a month for 10 years. 
lately sort of slowed down a bit with kids and travel and and I think once you break the seal of canceling, like no one canceled it for ten years, and then one person canceled, and then like you know it's a cascade. Like it's it's actually legal to miss a game because you're have pneumonia or some, you know, some sort of strange ailment. Um, so you know we all we, we know each other uh, very well, and I'm not spending too much time because of the stakes and because of the familiarity. Yeah, concentrating that makes sense. I hope the game continues. You know, there was this crime writers game that went forever. That was like Lawrence Block and Donald Westlake and a bunch of other guys, and they've played for almost 50 years and then Westlake passed away and it's Larry's block is still in there but playing but it's it, it, your game should really replay you don't give up go well, to your go to your 65 or 70 well guys. I was going to say I would have been so cool to listen to those guys talk um, though in our game like you know for five, first six years we'd never talk about work it was sort of shameful um, you could barely mention you had a book coming out uh, out of it just, it just seemed like it was a place that was free from any kind of work-related talk. And then eventually someone broke down and was like, ah, I'm stuck, my career's in the toilet, what do I do? And then you talk about it for three seconds and then move on. Um, so is that part of the allure for you? That it's a place, because you just, in the book, you constantly talk about how you're without affect. Sure, well, I mean... Uh, not that you're not affected for the... I mean, just that you're without any yeah. outward manifestation of an internal life. Yes, yeah, so I've been in a good mood all week, so this is not my usual... <laughs> yeah, you're smiling and laughing. Yes. Um, but I, I think... Uh, the people I played with, uh, Myla Goldberg, Darren Strauss, Nathan Englander, um, were not like part of like some kind of weird cafe culture. John Ray, uh, Jonathan Lethem. We're really w without the poker game. We would never see each other because we're, we're homeworking. We have our own sort of weird lives, and we don't overlap so much with conferences or you know whatever where you see people on the circuit. And so, um, I, you know, when we started, I only knew half the people. Um, Myla, whose idea it was, knew the other half. And um, since then, we've all become friends. But uh, the only thing that linked us was that we were roughly the same sort of Gen X writers um, with, I guess, needing some sort of social outlet or something. So, so it became a social, a, a social outlet for you. Yes. Originally. Yeah, yeah. And then... At some point, did the game play? So your your moment, you know, if we obviously you've had a lot of real moments in your life, but for the purposes of this, I think, you know, the moment should be 2011 and you going to play in the World Series of Poker, since that's what the book Certainly. is about. And did you uh, at some point, you know, I know this was an assignment and people asked you to do it, but in the end, I mean, do you think that you did this thing so you could write about it or did you write about it so you could justify really going and doing this thing of trying to get great at poker or great enough to compete at this level? Well, you know, it was a great accident from the beginning. I, I was, I had just finished a novel and if he'd asked me the month before, I would have said no, you know, just take too much work, too much time. And when I'm working on one thing, I, I try not to do anything else. Um, so I really just handed in my, edit of my book a few weeks before. Which book? Uh, Zone One, Post-Apocalyptic yeah, zombie book. Um, and I didn't want to spend 10 days in Vegas just covering it. And the editor of Grantland, uh, Dan Freeman, just said, what, what if we... I mean, it's not, it's not much a hard sell. Like, what if you actually played? You can't say no. Um, you know, I wasn't getting paid besides that for the piece. So it was sort of like pro bono. I get to do this and um, have fun with it. You know, they made it clear that I could keep the money if I won. I, I sort of... Didn't, I didn't really see that. People kept asking me. I was like, yeah, but, I mean, what are the chances? Um, uh, it wasn't until I, I was talking to uh, Matt Matros, 
uh, who's won a few bracelets, uh, the bracelets that, you know, like the Super Bowl rings of, of poker. <laughs> and we met at some writing, I guess I went to his college, his MFA program, uh, his writing program, 10 years before, and I was on Twitter saying I was going, and he said, well, if you want to talk to somebody, I can translate some poker uh, knowledge into literary talk, whatever that meant. And I was like, sure, <laughs> thank, thank you. So we had... Um, uh, lunch at the All-American Grill, which is in the Rio Casino. All the, all the food in Rio is, is terrible. Maybe the fish place is all right. but um, So there's the All-American Grill, and it's cheeseburgers and, and various sandwiches. And he was like, oh, you know, we, we never eat here. We being, you know, actual poker hotshots, because uh, you can't eat, you know, this you know this sort of crappy food day after day. And uh, on breaks in tournaments, he and his friends hop in a car and go to actually a real restaurant and go home and take a nap or, you know, make a sandwich at home. Don't eat in a casino, because it's going to kill you over time. Well, yeah, you said one of the things you mentioned is, um, first of all, a great moment is when you learn that this friend of yours for 10 years, you were pronouncing his name wrong. Uh, and he was too nice to <laughs> tell you that you were. But then... Uh, one of the things is uh, one one of your friends t tells you about the f the food is don't eat the table because the poker chips are, are filthy, right? Yes, uh, the chips, the cards, the seats. You know, how often do you wipe down the seats? I don't know. And I don't know, but I, I, I and the the book like kind of gallops along, and but I think there's a in a sneaky way. Um, I do think that this book is uh, th like um this generation's answer to fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, and uh, I think that if you st because there are a couple of lines that are almost direct echoes, not not no you know where you know you talk about seeing the, the coming out of the desert or sure and um, when you know you talk about the filth, I can't help but thinking about like Macbeth and the filth on your hands because then you say you don't want to go into the buffet you know into the buffet sure and, yeah I mean uh, what do you think about why why we return to this place over and over that is fundamentally filthy and then want to gorge ourselves on the buffet. And what does it say to you about, like, who we are? Um, because you can take a shower after you go to Vegas. I mean, it does wash off. I mean, I think the people who are really concerned about germs and dirty hands and everything are actually the people who are probably up to, <laughs> up to, up to no business, and that's why, you know, they're obsessed with it. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think... Um, Vegas is not out to destroy you. It's not out to break you, bankrupt you. Um, uh, it's not there to break up your marriage. It's not there to give you... I mean, you may well catch something there, but um, uh, they want you to come back, I think. And I think as it becomes more of a family resort and I think more careful and considered and the guys in the you know, the secret rooms who are sort of creating... The leisure, leisure industrial complex, and they get more be better and better at their work, and figuring out ways to keep you trapped in there and coming back year after year. The safer, the safer it is. Yeah, but that's not really an answer. That, uh, yes, I, that all, all makes sense. You definitely say all that stuff in the book, but it it, it seems like you, you you created this this term, the leisure industrial complex, LIC, and but it seems like where was Hunter Thompson went to Vegas and his sort of point of view in, in, in many ways was um, that he was morally superior. He, as, as messed up as he, as he was, as, as immoral as his actions were, somehow in the center, he held the high moral ground. And um, sort of would look at a convention and think they were, these people were, were gross. You, though, um, look at all this and you just use it 
to like denigrate yourself for not being able to join in their fun. No, I, I, I love them all, you know, unironically. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, when I first went to Vegas when I was 21, I was like, oh, it's going to be so campy and... You know, there's a Rat Pack, and you you, know, you got to wear suits and everything like that, and it's and it is trashy, and you look down upon the middle Americans who go there for fun. Um, and then the first, you know, the first time I was there, I, I dropped a nickel in and won five bucks, and my brain started buzzing, and I'm playing roulette at the Four Queens the next day, and putting a dollar on on number fourteen, and I won ten bucks, and I was up thirty bucks the whole night. I was like, I can't believe it. Um, but you know, my initial disdain. Um, was first grudgingly became a, a grudging respect and then over the years it's like um a strange kind of love why not have this place in a desert where we can escape all the sort of horrible things that are plaguing us night and day we got a leaky roof the mortgage is our kid testing well all these sort of things that you know sort of bubble up um but you can go to the desert for 72 hours and you don't like to gamble have a nice meal you know you go to the spa sit by the pool um you know, whatever you want is there. It's just like it's just it's just made to make you just sort of feel good. You know, for a couple of hours out of your measly life. You know, once a year or every couple of years. So give yourself over over to it, um, and let yourself go in a reasonable, measured sort of way. But but you you yeah you constantly say in the in the book though that that's an ideal that you understand, but that you personally can't embrace it. I try. Uh, I try. You know, I have. You know, I, 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 I am an observer. I'm a writer. I'm on the outside looking in. Uh, there are a lot of things in life I wish I could do and be a little more pure about, as support as apart from a sort of abstract, seeing them as an abstract good. Um, so I try. Uh, I'm a very weak vessel, unfortunately. Well, uh, but strong enough to to power in right and. Um, and 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 yeah, g give it the the best effort that you can. But did you ever go into the buffet and, and eat there? Oh, I mean, um, I guess the, the buffet I still idealize is the 1991 buffet that was 5.99, and with the prime rib under the beautiful red lights, um, uh, the shrimp cocktail, the endless shrimp cocktail for $1.99. Uh, the Rio buffet is not a you know, it's not a cheap buffet. Uh, it's not the food's not bad. I mean, probably too much iceberg lettuce. It's actually a well done buffet that they put on there, and they're quite proud of it. Um, so uh, that old kind of Vegas style buffet, um, I did not search for or you know go to. In recent visits, like I think the the sort of lowest common denominator casino experiences uh my friends wanted to go to the hooters casino because they had really cheap tables so you go there and, and like um there you can still sort of smell you know the the cigarette smell all the chips are sort of you know i'm not sure you know they're from five casinos before here um and then you know the hooters people are you know and yeah. you you like the you you like the griminess somehow yes but it's i mean it's much harder to find um you know, it's so cleaned up, like everything, Times Square, you know, where we are right now. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, uh, it's a lot harder to find that um, pop culture Vegas of yore, I think, because in the end, I think the money sort of wins out over... It, it does. But, but yeah, the money, of course, the money wins. And you, so you're sort of talking around and, and about why you wanted to go out there and do this, which is somehow the idea of 
escaping to this place every once in a while to see if you can join in is appealing to you? Um, I don't have much else. I mean, yeah, there, you know, there's so many different things going on with the genesis of the book. Uh, it's an article. Um, I'm going to be real boy journalist and 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 you know and, and talk to people and do research and head down to Atlantic City. Um, there's the added for me stress of having you know trying to do well. Head down to Atlantic City to practice. To before practice, you went yeah, out to practice Vegas. tournaments. Yeah, I mean, after I went through a couple of books, I was like, these are the wrong books for what I have to have to do. Uh, so back to the drawing board. Um, um, but I mean, it wasn't until I got there that I sort of realized. It's, I mean, it was sort of bigger than an assignment, and bigger than you know someone paying my tab to go to Vegas but for what, a week. What, what is it about yourself that you wanted to, to test? I think like there's this line in the book where you 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 say I could play it safe or I could really play, and then you you ask yourself, you know, why are you here? It's the Vegas question. What the f are you doing in Vegas? And, I mean, you answered with your actions in a way, but, you know, what, what the f*** were you doing in Vegas? Really? Really? Leaving your daughter? Right. The kid? Um, like, what do you really think it's about? Why'd you go do this? Well, I think there's, you know, there's the... I write fiction, I make up things, I spend... Uh, you know, nine months or a year outlining, and then I sort of dig in and, and write a book. And it's always my sort of perfectly constructed world. You know, I'm pulling all the strings. Um, but a lot of stuff that made me energized to write was nonfiction, stuff I read in high school, people at the Village Voice, um, uh, some Hunter S. Thompson, but also Tom Wolfe, people who are sort of applying... Uh, new journalism. New journalism. The, the fiction, the... Um, techniques of fiction to nonfiction. Um, can you find you know a great nonfiction story that's yours in a way? I mean, obviously, James McManus, uh, writer, goes to World Series. Yes. Uh, here's how you play. Here's what's going on. Here's the history. Um, uh, he owns it. What can I? What can I do with it? I'm just a guy coming along twelve years later. How can I make this sort of experience? mine in a way that everyone who goes to Vegas goes to World Series um, is playing a card game is trying to make this you know universal experience theirs for a time sort of hold it briefly um, what kind of story can I get out of it and test myself in a way that I don't normally do because I really just sit around just thinking up stuff and I make the characters do things so now I'm the character and I really don't uh, want to go out like some of the people I sort of you know uh, I don't want it to happen to me what I do to sort of my characters in my books um, it's personally disappointing and then also just the humiliation of, of being in print and saying you know I'm a, I'm a jerk who went out in the first hand or whatever Yes, yeah, so the, the, that side of, test, of testing yourself. Because what I, I think is really interesting is that the, the almost the whole time, almost every page, um, you express your own disappointment in yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Um, I, I think that's a... Um, you know, I, I grew up watching a lot of cable. My parents had cable very early. We had HBO, like... The second day it came out, if, he, if we had a lot of TV coming in, we'd have to talk to each other. So, you know, I'm eight, nine, watching Saturday Night Live. Uh, I'm watching George Carlin and his, you know, his early, early specials. 
on HBO and Richard Pryor. My father is connecting in a generational way to Richard Pryor. Like this is actually how how we live, you know, you know, young son. So I think that um, my personality is partially formed by you know weird comedians from the seventies, self-deprecating or even worse, self-immolating, yeah. self-immolating. Uh, sadly, um, and I think you're making people laugh. Um, but part of the laugh is coming from making them rec- recognize some of the horror of existence. Yeah, yes, that, and you do that. Um, but there's this under there's this under- undercurrent um, also. Um, you know, race plays a, a fairly a subtle but big part in the book. You know, you um, you talk about the character in movies, the magical black man, and how you. Uh, feel disappointed in yourself that you're not a magical black man, and you're sort of sending up, I, I clearly sending up this this idea. But you know, you name the book, you use the word noble in the title, which is a very significant word racially, also. And um, and by any sort of objective standard, and forgetting the black man part of it, you're magical, right? You're a conferred genius. You're a storyteller. You are performing magic of a kind all the time and and so I'm wondering as I'm reading it I felt like well this is a guy who's constantly sort of like disappointed that he's not more m- magical in a way but anyone who constantly says I don't have any magic is on the other hand saying uh, raising the question of magic <laughs> well I mean uh, I don't feel as bad about things all the time as I, as I do in the book um, you know uh, I you know for the sake of a joke or for the sake of of you know maybe taking on someone else's miserable miserableness onto myself uh playing you know a certain kind of role in terms of the persona of the book you know i mean but but as an african-american being at that at the world series of poker there yeah there's phil ivy and there are a couple of famous uh black poker players but i'm just wondering how sort of like how much um, you became you're, you're obviously always aware of who you are, but 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 how much you were really aware of that? Because you you lay it into the book in a very subtle way, but it's really clearly there. No, I mean I mean uh, it's true. You know, the first time I walk into a casino or sit down at a poker table, I'm the only you know 25 year old hipster, black hipster, hipster here, black hipster here. <laughs> um, there's a huge cultural divide. There's uh, you go to Reno. You know, they haven't really seen people like me, <laughs> like uh, in terms of dreadlocks. Yeah, yeah, and, and dreadlocks. Yeah. And um, by the way, uh, not twenty-five anymore. No, no. But I mean, the first, you know, when I first started going to going yeah. to casinos, um, and you know, um, apart from my early Vegas trips. No, so I'm, I'm aware that uh, hipster black eyes are not the typical poker player. Uh, we're not typically at the World Series of Poker, um, uh, and but that's part of my everyday alienation of being someone who's a, who's an, ob- an observer. You know, writers are in a room, also a part, participating, pulling back. Um, so my particular uh, otherness in a poker room is really just part of so many uh, so many facets of the otherness I feel every day, and you know, even just. Um, thinking about should I start working out like I'm middle-aged like do I is this what people do like other people just know that they're supposed to start exercising and taking care of themselves like why can I just I have the free time I work at home why can't I just be like one of the normal people who just buy some buy some sneakers and starts running or going to a yoga class 
Like, and then you do in the book. Uh, br- yeah, briefly, pr- briefly for work. You know, I could write it off. <laughs> because <laughs> it what, didn't t- stick. I've been talking it about. You, so stick. you decided to train. <laughs> I mean, you decided to train, right? Yes, uh, I'm going to be sitting for 12 hours straight. Uh, well, my posture. Um, I bent over my keyboard all day. So you know, it's joking. You know, it's a joke. But I went to a physical trainer. Uh, who gave me some yoga yoga poses and some breathing techniques to help me keep limber and mellowed out. And it actually did help me, you know, just... I'm taking a deep breath. You know, <laughs> you know it's, it's very tense. It can be very tense. So um, while I felt sort of foolish, you know, those weird yoga breathing techniques were actually very helpful and have been actually since then. And and you... Uh, I, I, I guess I know you're like a meditator. You, know, you meditate. I've uh, seen you... Don't, yeah. you, don't you? Don't you? Oh yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I do. Uh, I do transcendental meditation twice a day for twenty minutes. It, do you do it? No, no, no. But I mean, like, why can't I? Can, why can't? Why can't I do that? Like, like, yeah, like, I mean, it's a it's a, a great <laughs> thing to do. Uh, but, I, I have the time, but okay, yeah. I mean, it's um for, to, to me, it just uh really um helps you get centered and gets rid of a lot of anxiety. It's like very you know uh very simple basic thing for me and it's a way to not have to do the exercise of yoga and get the sure. benefit without okay. it for me so i can be lazy yeah, yeah. if i can carry if i can just for a second take on your character <laughs> this way i don't have to do anything and i can right. still manage uh, to look into that i'm able to google that when i i'll get well i can uh hook you up with it. but i want to just return to this idea because at the beginning you sort of like downplay the competitive aspect of it you said for me and for me it's not a it's not really about that mm-hmm. but i i just wonder if there are a lot of things you could you could have written about. You'd go to Vegas any time, but you chose to enter the the biggest and most challenging poker tournament in the world, and plane satellites, and do a lot of Atlantic City trips beforehand. I, I, there's some measuring your. There, I, I guess I. It seems to me if you read the book. There's a lot of measuring yourself that goes on. So measuring yourself against other sure. people. <laughs> and in terms of uh, how, how, how good you feel or how do you feel about the world, yes. I mean, I am I'm making constant measurement of how I feel about my place in the universe and how other people are, are dealing with things. Um, I mean, for me, uh, you know, coming up with weird jokes and thinking of the structure for the book is a lot of fun. But that last, you know, 30 pages... On day two, on day two, when I am being sort of eaten away, and finding somehow um, my coach's words coming through, uh, Dan Harrington, poker guru's words coming through, because it does seem like you're you're wrestling with wanting to be generous towards your fellow man, and then not being able to be, and then trying to reclaim it. Sure, I mean, I think that's what's sort of going on in those in those thirty pages, wrestling with all that, and then. You know, finding that weird place in yourself, which I never really seek out. I mean, I think there are, in the course of writing a, a novel, there are various setbacks and disappointments, and you're stuck. Any kind of long writing project, when you're like, "Can I do this? Can I not do this?" and then it clicks. I feel like there, I'm so used to figuring out things. I know eventually I'll figure it out in a way I understand that I don't worry about it anymore. <clears throat> um, which means to say, I don't actually worry about find that experience in my life because it's so orderly and I teach I write my books hang out with my kid uh, my wife in, in your work is where it's in the ba- where things can go either yes. way yes uh, you know, I mean that's the battleground I mean, I'm fighting myself and you know my distraction and my right. weakness and my, my lack of inspiration different points but I know it's going to turn out okay I mean 
I'll finish the book. It'll be the best I can do. It's not going to be, you know, the best book ever. So it's just what I can do. Um, so so the, then being at the World Series and in this arena where I never am anymore and and wanting it, you know, wanting... Wanting to beat these people. And wanting to beat them, yes. I mean, that's the point. There, why you, is it so there, you, hard? Pulled it out, you pulled it out of me. There you go. Yeah, well, why is it so hard to admit? Because in the world, I mean... <laughs> you're I'm a superhumanist, you know, and, you know, try to shy away. Yeah. But isn't that what the... But that's what I'm trying to get to when I ask yeah. you what the allure, why you're still using cards, right? Sure, yeah. Is that it's... Isn't it licensed to actually practice aggression in a way that's not going to harm somebody? Well, I, I think the, the place where I... Most of you know give that free reign is like monopoly. Like you know, someone today was like, "Are you gonna teach your daughter poker?" And I was like, "No, I'm gonna teach her how to be a really good ruthless monopoly player." Because um, that's, I mean, for me, like that's like the weird place where I can totally um, no one will play with me anymore, like my age. But uh, playing seven year olds and destroying them it gives you destroy. <laughs> well, because yeah. I was looking at this. Um, this kind of this worldview that, that, that you express in, in the book, and the book is hilarious. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm asking you a real question because there's all this stuff underneath it. But the book is hilarious, and for sports fans and poker fans, it's super compelling because we do see you try to master this skill and then take it out against the best players in the world. And you're reading all the stuff, and it, it's great. But underneath it, you know, I found these two um, these two lines in the book that really seemed in opposition uh, and I wanted to ask you about them because I think it's maybe in, in part you know who you, what you wish and then what, what, what we are in a way which is on the one hand you say I was in tune with decay you're talking about entropy right that we're decaying yes we're but, falling apart everything's falling apart and we're all in the same sort of horrible process but then you say towards the end of the book when you're talking about Vegas and people being down on Vegas no one forces doom upon you, folks. You have to seek it out. Sure. sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, put those two together. They're two uh, contradictory statements. But, um, but I mean, I mean, the book is a weird journey. I think between those places of defying, defying what you know to be the natural order, and convincing yourself that no one forces doom upon you. No, I mean, choosing hope, choose life. You know, we are all sort of decaying. Um, if you believe that 24-7, if, that, if that's how you live your life, you can't, you're not living. So where in the weird corners of our decaying existence can you find these little places of places where hope can find purchase and, and give your life meaning? Yeah, and for you, one of those places is, is Vegas. Certainly, yes, yes. Um, but I can't tell if it's you watching others do that that gets... gets gives you that the 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 thrill of, of Vegas. Yeah, for most of it and then inhabiting it, you know, um at the World Series when I'm sort of forced to face it. Forced to face my own um to have my metaphor of entropy be actually vivid and enacted right in front of me with in terms of dwindling chips and sort of self respect and um uh lack of you know um oblique oblique table view i guess you'd say well but but at the same time that you're saying entropy's there and on on view is when you're saying to people don't blame don't blame the place and don't blame the game it's it's you it is always you yes despite the kind of inevitable inevitability of it which is just an interesting i think ground to stake out yeah i mean uh i guess you know for me now i don't have a hard time holding both of those, you know, statements as true, 
in my in my brain. Everything's going to hell, and also you have a choice. Um, well, yeah, that's why I, th- I mean, uh, there's thing about poker as different from Monopoly or as, uh, other games. And I love Hearts too, by the way. All through college, I just played Hearts every day. But um, the it's like one of the only games I think where you really compete against the other person at the same time you're competing against fortune. Like, whatever your conception of God or luck or fate is. And I'm wondering if that's... Engaging on those multiple fronts at the same time is interesting to you. I guess I'm trying to figure out, like, why people get... Like, why I like to gamble, why other people like to gamble, and trying to come up with some kind of strange theory. But poker, even separately from gambling, because poker is... Isn't it, like... Or I mean, do you think it is a mixture of both, of skill and and skill and gambling? Well, I, I think, you know, in, in trying to figure out why people do it, it seems like the actual mechanics of the game are very separate from like the appeal to whatever your poker god is. Like, I feel like I, I never sort of got them into one um, sort of coherent whole. Like, I feel like I'm either begging for cards. <laughs> Or outplaying this person, like I'm, like not like the two forces aren't coming together. Like uh, the poker gods aren't shine, aren't blessing me, and I'm um, I'm doing some you know impressive footwork on the felt here. Um, I don't think I ever I ever got them in the same you know sort of feeling. And, and then even at the poker table, other than with your your other than with your friends here, I mean, do you still hold on to the your status kind of as? as an outsider because when you you know when you talk about having no uh no expression on your face the perfect poker face because in life you you say you're you don't give much away no yes yeah and so i i was thinking about again because you bring up you have noble in the title and you bring up um you know magic black man magical black man all the time um you know i was thinking about invisibility a little bit and whether you're in some way grappling with how visible or invisible you want to be. Well, I think in terms of invisibility at the poker table, um, uh, my skin and my dreadlocks become invisible when I'm slotted into just um, just another fish. Like you know, this, you know, yeah, I sit down. Soccer. I sit down with this guy. He's like, oh, actually, this guy, you know. He's not playing well. Um, I know who he is. He's one of he's now um, one of the great number of people who I can sort of wipe out, and he's just another. And you sucker. like you like that? Oh, I mean, because I, well, well, because you. It, it seems like um, it seems like you talk a lot about being out of your depth, out of your element. Uh, they're all better than you. And at one point, some guy comes up to you and he's like, hey, you played well. And you couldn't even give that credit, right? You, you decided no, he was just yes. being nice to you. Yes. But why, why? No one's nice to anyone else in a casino. <laughs> you don't think these young these young players are sort of ra- raised well? Um, well, that's an interesting question. Because, <laughs> you know, you don't... It's funny, in the, in the book, you mention college a lot, but you don't bring up that you went to Trinity or Harvard. And I know that you don't bring it up in, an, in a memoir... It's sort of an advised thing, the anonymity you give those aspects of your life. And I'm wondering I'm wondering why and in, in terms of the positioning of you as as out of your out of your depth. Right. Um well I mean Harvard and Trinity have nothing to do with like being a poker player or, you know. Um 
It's not like uh, you got this great education and and you also you know we showed you Cincinnati Kid ten times and uh, this is how you you know you gamble your way through life. Um, nothing. No, but they do speak to uh, they do speak against the idea of outsider status. Well, uh, I felt like <laughs> you know, uh, or they can right or that no. <laughs> sure, I mean, I think there are plenty of outsiders who who, who go there, uh, go to Trinity, go to Harvard, um, and remain outsiders and um, are not particularly memorable members of the, of the class. Uh, and certainly, I felt that way. Um, uh, I'm a writer. I publish books. You know, uh, gone some good reviews. Obviously, I'm not a complete. You know. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not this, you know, you know, completely this worthless slug that comes off on the page. Right. However, why not? Fe- I mean, if you feel like a worthless slug, well, yeah, but it's an interesting thing because it's a, it's actually um, a poker technique, right? Which is to be on, and it, it to me, it comes back to this idea as I, I try to think about why we love this game. Like, I love the game of poker, and I constantly wonder why. And and part of it is that you can define. You talk about table image. And I'm wondering how much you had to method act the table image you wanted to put forth at different times. Because, you know, in the book, you say things like, uh, you talk about the, the places you're in, and you say, I tried to keep up. Um, I brought the IQ level down in the room. And there's no way you brought the IQ level down in the room. <laughs> um, I think, you know, at, at moments when the book learning, poker book learning kicked in, or my various, you know, my coach's advice kicked in, or I realized something of my own, and actually remembered it when I was playing. Um, that's what I mean. That's when I felt great, and I felt I was sort of in uh, this new level of poker playing um, uh, that I've been working on. You know, in a low grade way, even like sort of subconsciously by, by reading poker books when none of my friends were, and I'm playing like dummy hands by myself. Uh, just trying to fig- just get a glimpse of how the game actually works. Cause I love it in this in this very sort of pure sort of way. And like it's just me hungover trying to solve trying it. to trying to solve it. Yeah, can and, you t- and pick I, at it. talk about that? Because I think that's a great moment when how you how you decided like almost before poker books you were going to figure out how the game worked. Um, I think I, I was just starting to I guess figure out that I like it and uh, like poker and, and that there's. A rhythm to the games and hands and the sort of ebb and flow of your fortunes over a night. Um, I wanted to know more about it, and so uh, it was before internet playing, and I wasn't really good with numbers. So I would just play seven card stud by myself with like a few dummy hands on the floor, and you know, a couple hours. You know, there's probably like. The sitcom Wings is on USA. Wings was on all the time, early it's 90s. Great, Timothy Daly. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's like, oh, actually, straights don't come that, that often. Oh, flushes are rarer than, uh, I, was pl- than uh, I was playing as you know as if they were. Um, uh, sometimes a high, ace high could be you know, not that bad. Um, so it wasn't scientific, and it wasn't... Um, I wasn't calculating, I wasn't crunching numbers. It was just sort of like trying to get a feel of how often things, you know, come up or don't come up or sort of under, you know, get into the head of the cards, I guess, in a certain kind of way. Like, you know, how, how does the poker... Now it's getting a little mystical, but... Um, no, it's... Uh, it's, it's uh, I mean, you're, you're stopping short of, like, Henry Sugar. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? <laughs> right, isn't that the book of Roald Dahl, the magical 
<laughs> I mean, because he really goes far. Okay. Yeah. Further than you. I mean, you're on your way there. Yes. Yeah. But you didn't quite. Social norms have prevented me from, from going to the, the, all the way to where he goes. But, um, but, but so you do that to the good and go back into your home game and to succeed in your, in yes. your home game, right? Um, sort of self-tutoring my way, self-tutoring myself and, uh, and as you were building that, what did you decide the essential tools a poker player has to have are? Well, I mean, it's hard to say what I feel versus like what an actual you know, pro would pro would say. You know, yeah, you the higher level book, players. What do you? So, so I mean, but in in synthesizing everything they say and what you've seen, what do you think those things are? Well, I mean, I guess we're going back to. I always felt I was playing my best poker when I was playing that one other person and sort of knowing who they'd been two hands before and who they were in this hand. Um, sort of that, that weird flash of intuition that, you know, I'm playing this way, this is a person who's playing another sort of way. And the cards may come or not, but I sort of know what he has. And I mean, go with it. No surprise that you would think intuition was. Sure. Yeah. Knowing, yeah, yeah, you're the book that made you, you know, uh, uh, a famous writer is the intuitionist, but, and, and what that, you know, this particular skill set that. But I, I think, you know, after, after all the books and, you know, all the, you know, the talk with various people, I think that, that moment talking to Matt Matros the day before the, the game theory, series. the game theory moment. Yeah. Well, it's just like, you're just going to write an article. About why are you actually here? You know, going back to why are you actually in Vegas? Do you want us, are you just here to record for Grantland? Um, or do you want to do something? Or you want to do something? And, and I really, I mean, it seems foolish, but I hadn't sort of thought about it in that way until he sort of told me, no, this is more than, you know, just telling a few jokes um, for a mag for a magazine assignment, and and and, and so so what were the so when you made this, what were the skills you tried to build, right? You tried to understand some game theory. Yeah, although you know, totally terrible. But even just you know the beauty of, I'd always like done a continuation bet just naturally, and then realizing it's like an actual thing that's in, that's in books, and they tell you to do. It's like oh, so this thing I sort of glimpsed. And I had an idea about is a real branch of learning, and when do you do it? You know, when do you? When's it effective? Not effective? When you give up? And um, reading Harrington's book, Dan Harrington's books, which I've read them too, they're incredibly yeah great. I, I wondered, and maybe you can tell me, do they still like when everyone you talk about it? How everyone read Doyle's book, and then Doyle's book, it still was really helpful, but it kind of even the, the playing field. Do you think Harrington's book had the books had the I same mean, effect? From, from what I hear, you know, um, definitely that year, people were like, oh, Harrington this, Harrington that, and you know, um, people were talking about it in, you know, the crappy casinos and there. I mean, not, maybe not so much the World Series of Poker, but uh, it came up a lot. Harrington came up a lot. Um, but then, of course, the books are out for six years, ten years, and everybody reads them, and then you have to counteract that. And maybe that's, you know, what the hyper-aggressive play of the young guys are doing, or just all those conventions, once everyone knows, once they're um, become written in stone then you have to I mean because you draw these you draw these parallels between being a novelist and being a, a, car, a card player and having a certain of these skills um, and you, you call you use the term biding and so can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that being a skill biding um, and how it's, how it applies across both 
when are you going to finish this book? Are you going to make it to the finish line? You're just waiting, um, hoping it all comes together. You'll pull it off in the end. Um, the day-to-day successes are so small, um, they're not enough to keep you going. But you have to, you know, in order to continue, you have to have this higher idea uh, that things are going to work out. And I think it's definitely true in tournament time. Um, are the cards going to come? You can sort of dance around with, you know, uh, playing crap, the right table, uh, with the right opponents. You're going to need cards, and you have to wait. It's not, you're not playing every so you're hand. you're biding your time. You're biding your time, yeah. In both things, and the ability to know how to do that. Because um, there's a... Not, not, not flame out early, you know. That's true of any kind of, you know, writing career. Um, are you in for the, you know, the long haul um, or the long con in terms of your career and, you know, your tournament? Because it seems there's also a certain sadness that the book's suffused with, which is the time that you're forced to be away from your daughter, the kid. And I, I kind of wonder if the whole thing, not having to leave her for that time, but the times you were in Atlantic City and all this time reading about poker and gambling is in a way you finish your novel, which was a way to bide your time when you can't be with her. And now you're using this. Oh, um, not so much. I mean, it, you know, uh, the, the year leading up to uh, starting the poker thing, I, you know, my, my divorce was finalized and I was trying to figure out, figure out how to live my life and... It seemed like I could have a social life and date, and I could write a book, and I could be a great dad. I couldn't do all three, and um, so I, I, was, I, was, I tried to be the you know, best dad I could be and finish this book uh, on deadline, and I didn't go out. You know, there. Um, and, and I'm not calling uh, your daughter the kid. I mean, that's what you call her. In no, the book. Yeah, I just want to call her. Yeah, clear about that. Like and your kid tweeting you know, at me. How did you call his daughter the kid? <laughs> he calls his own daughter the kid. Um, the character in the book. Is, um, and, and so, I, I, you know, just personally, I really needed a break. And then this thing came along, which just magnified my anxiety so much. You know, having to perform in the in the in the tournament and training, and it being such a bigger enterprise than, than I thought it would. Um, so there's something about uh, I think putting off a more you know a more pure quality time with her. I'm not. Distracted by bills, you know, I'm gonna have my book in, we're gonna be right. broke, and then this, you know, then this poker thing comes along and it extends it, and I'm getting paid for it, you know, because. Um, but but in the beginning, you were going to Atlantic City on days you weren't with her. Yes, um, and I'm wondering how it was a way to because you have to be present at the table, and I'm wondering, I, in the book, it feels like it's a way to bide time until it may not be the case. You may have not, maybe it's not something you intended or even thought about, but it does seem like. Hey, this this person is most you know I I want to be with the most and I I can't so I'm gonna get on a bus and go to this rarey show and sit there with these people and you know take the bus back late when I'm fried and then it's a way to not have to think about it. yeah I mean I I didn't you know uh, conceptualize it in that sort of way but it did seem like once these trials are over <laughs> we can just hang <laughs> out and like you know and sit on the beach or something somewhere. Um, uh, yeah, and I mean, you was she were you was she happy when you returned? She yeah, you know, she she, she didn't care at all. I know. I was like, oh, you, you were away. You know, like the concept of time when she was well, six. Well, because time and memory play a big role also in this book, right? You're you're constantly jumping. You're jumping back. And you talk about how card players have this memory for hands played, and they're always. 
Uh, it still amazes me. You know, just these dudes uh, reliving something that happened 10 years ago in this, you know, this casino. And it reminds them of how they misplayed something five years ago. And then, then this morning. And there's this whole great, you know, poker hand chain of being that they're a part of. And it's, they're constantly living it. I, I mean, I hope in a, in a good way. And it's, it's positive. But there's so much like sort of probing of like some kind of weird poker primal hurt, it seems. Uh, yeah, but I mean that's so parallel to what you do, which is what I do. All, <laughs> that's what I do all the time. You know, uh, as, as a writer, doing your work. yes, yes. I mean, you <laughs> right? Yeah, no, yes. <laughs> I mean, did you not make that connection? <laughs> well, I mean, in terms of that phrasing, no. But yes, uh, yes, <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> I'm deeply enmeshed in the past and former bad hands. Well, and former bad because like there's yeah. this great moment I think in the, in the in the book and you know I'm not going to spoil the, the end and how you, how you did in the, in the in the tournament for people who, who should go out and read the book but but uh, you you talk about it, and any any writer anyone who's ever had someone sit in judgment upon them would would love this and I, I just want to point it out because it goes back to the central idea I think that um, that I pick up on in the book which is your um, reluctance or fear of owning up to your desire to win um, is really great and I think it's what a lot of conversations in the th book are sort of subtly about when you call your coach and it's like Colson will you do what you have to do to win and you're st scared to or hesitant to or sure, don't want to yeah. manifest that yeah but there's this great moment you talk about when you were um, at college a writing teacher rejected you for a class and then you say later you were working for a magazine and you say when the writing teacher who'd rejected my work in college submitted a story I passed on it not out of revenge it just wasn't up to snuff um, which would be totally believable if you didn't then have to put it in the book as a form of revenge well, I think, you know, um, I didn't name him. <laughs> like he, he no, but he knows. Oh, I mean, I'm not even sure he knows uh, who I am. I mean, you know, I've never talked about it in any sort of, you know, sort of public way. I mean, I, I have no idea. Um, but, but, I mean, you took the step of, you, you consciously put it in the book. And I think it's part of getting yourself, to me... You were turning yourself into some kind of a warrior, which was an uncomfortable place for you. And so you're, in a, in a way, like remembering these moments of some kind of triumph. And uh, Actually, I mean, I actually, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to sign off on that one. That's fine. Don't. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> well, I mean, because I, I think, you know, when you, I mean, you can say if you beat someone at cards, you've annihilated them. Or you can say... It was just business. And I think that's, you know, and I think that's, you know, But there. the great lie of the Godfather, and they even say it, is uh, it's never just business. Sure. But, you know... Um, because what does telling yourself it's just business do for you? Um, have you actually wiped out somebody each time you win a hand with them? Or did you just win a, a card game? You know, sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other. Sure. Yes. Um, and sometimes it's just, you know, it's just business. And sometimes it is personal, and sometimes it's just business, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, do you think the thing with your, that with, I mean, the the thing with the teacher, be, because uh, what it seemed like to me was you going back and looking at that hand and really acknowledging I outplayed the guy and I want to let him know it. It's also about being disappointed and then overcoming it, I think. Yeah, but, but now you're, what, what struck me about that was 
you're constantly, you know, you're, um, well, this is what I wrote down, was I wrote down, now, you know, you're a genius and you're subtweeting him in an actual book of yours, <laughs> which is like slow rolling a motherfucker because he stuck a bluff in your face. Sure. sure. Uh, but you always find, you know, you can say the guy knows or not, but um, I don't know. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not going to, you know, that corner of my personality, I'm shying away from. So, Yeah, no, that, which, which is fine, but I think it must <laughs> but, uh, serve sub, you. Sub, Subtweeting, yes. Uh, see. Yeah, was he on on social media <laughs> following me? I'm not sure. <laughs> right. But it's a good subtweet. I guess I just want to applaud uh, the subtweet. Um, see, that's not a laugh that's denying what I... Just so you know, that laugh is not denying my uh, suggestion. The laugh is uh, confirmation, uh, I think, uh, to, uh, to me. Um, just uh, we can kind of wrap it up in in a couple of minutes i just have a couple of uh, more questions um what do you see as uh, the state of poker now are you still interested in the game do you still like playing um it sort of ruined me because where you know i say in the book i used to be like mr explainer like it's just a you know, game among friends and here, I'll write down the, the ranking of hands for you, and you know we're just here to have fun, trying to convince you know your yeah. friend who has, doesn't know how to play how to play. Um, but I was sincerely welcoming, and learning how to really play destroyed that part of me. I'm really impatient in the casual game now. Um, when I sit down, I really sort of want to go to Atlantic City. I don't, I don't go in general, but when I whenever I do sit down and play cards now, I'm like I would really just rather just go to a real casino and, and play. I don't. Um, I'm also not going to play. I'm not going to start going to Lang City, Mohegan Sun on weekends. It's not my lifestyle. I'm really cheap. So if I could find like a medium, again that's social and also a little more rigorous than my regular game, well, I would probably get more out of it. I, I think I got Darren to invite me to your game, so maybe that'll add just <laughs> yeah. a slight layer yeah. of. Yeah. yeah, you won't be back. <laughs> I'm just going to come once. Yeah. Well, I mean, once you once. Uh, John Ray starts talking about the latest, like, Dylan bootleg. You're like, this is what you just talk <laughs> I can go deep with Dylan bootlegs. <laughs> yes, well, that's half the, half the evening. I, 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 I can't. Um, oh, but, believe uh, me, I have a couple of different versions of Blood on the Tracks. There's one not... <laughs> called Blood on the Takes. That's the alternate recordings that were done in Minnesota. So okay, uh, I could engage. Then uh, you'll be used to this very... Not very high, you know, quickly paced game of ours. <laughs> let's let's talk for a second as we wrap up about, you know, you say that you are from uh, Anhedonia, which it, it, the most famous use of Anhedonia in, in the in the culture is that it was the alternate title for Annie Hall. Sure, yeah. And um, and define what Anhedonia is for anyone who may it's not um know. you know a uh, term from psychoanalysis or you know psychology, the inability to feel pleasure. To ever gain satisfaction, really, um, and so uh, you wore a, you wore a, uh, a sweatshirt that says "The Republic of Anhedonia." I got one made, you know, to show my country's colors. That that was, and you talk about that the whole time, and how you're half dead, and you're from Anhedonia, you'd never be happy. And, and, and it's interesting because so much of the book is about belonging and the question of whether you can belong to this group of people or whether you have to forever be an outsider. And I thought about Annie Hall, which starts with the Groucho Marx joke that you wouldn't belong. Want to belong to any club? That sure. Have you? Yeah. Well, I mean, no one wants to be from Anhedonia. What we are, you know. I mean, uh, uh, whether it's temporarily or maybe it's you know from birth, 
you know, I think there's overlap between my sort of worldview occasionally and um, other people's sort of bleak worldviews. Um, I think that there's um, the neurotic urban comedian, Jewish comedian persona uh, I grew up very familiar with in the 70s and 80s. And it's, you know, it's a performance of acknowledging the horror, and I think accepting the horror. The existential horror. Yeah. And uh, and don't you think, um, or, or I would say I think that um, that in a way writing itself is like a willful act of defiance to um, our end. Well, I, I think if I was really as devastated existentially as I put off across in the book, I wouldn't have the wherewithal to, to write a book. Um, yeah. I would be paralyzed in the couch. Um, so yes, you're, you're, um, I'm fighting uh, various forces in my personality by, by going to the World Series and then uh, being forced to confront them. And then um, in my own sort of daily battle with how do I talk about the world and, and writing a book, you know, um, trying to fight back the chaos and, and put a name to it and, and give it a shape. Well, I have to say that in the book, you know, you, you, you really talk about um, feeling like you're disappointing everybody by not being more magical um, and that you hope you can do something magical for them. And, and uh, I really think you have done that in, 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 in writing this book. Uh, you know, I hate everything. Almost anybody uh, tries to write about poker. Uh, except me, and and sure. uh, <laughs> and um, and and you know, uh, obviously that's a gross exaggeration, mammoth, and tons of people have written great stuff. But I really think your book um, is really enters the pantheon. And so, thank you for um, leaving the Republic of Anhedonia and um, going out there and, and filing this field report. I think the book's going to bring a lot of people a lot of joy. And so thanks for. Um, putting up with my um, hypotheses and questions about it, but I was really so engaged by it. I could do this for, for two more hours, but um, nobody would want to listen to that. Um, you know, I, I mean, uh, I, I'm really glad you liked it, you know, with, with, your, with your pedigree. I, I, uh, coming from outside, I didn't know how um, uh, the poker world would take to it. So, you know, so it means a lot that, that you know, um, that you enjoyed it. Uh, I Thanks did. a lot. So, thanks for being here. Bye. Hey, oh, follow Colson uh, on Twitter at Colson Whitehead and um, at Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.